Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I interview personal finance experts to find out the strategies and tactics that they're using to achieve financial independence. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Paula from AffordAnything.com. Uh, Paula describes her site as the anti-frugality blog, and uh, what she means by this is that rather than focusing on frugality and limiting spending, you should instead focus on building wealth and, and then using that wealth to live the life that you want to live. Um, Paula's primary method of building her own personal wealth is by investing in real estate. Um, unlike Shilpin from the previous episode of the podcast, who invested in commercial real estate, specifically hotels, uh, Paula invests in residential real estate. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to find out you know, how she got started and what advice she has to give others out there, uh, myself included, who would like to eventually start investing in real estate someday. So without further delay, uh, hey, Paula, thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so before we get into the questions, I was hoping maybe you could just you know tell a little bit about your background and you know how you started writing about personal finance. Sure. Well, I started my career as a journalist at one of those print and paper newspapers. <laughs> oh, you remember those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from back in the 80s, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I started off, I started life as an old school newspaper reporter. And, and that was great. It gave me my, my initial training in terms of how to write and how to tell stories and, and all of that. And I really enjoyed it. But unfortunately, I entered right at the point where the industry was sort of shrinking, <laughs> sort of shrinking, really shrinking. Mm -hmm. um, newspapers were shutting down, people were getting laid off. Um, I, I was at a small, kind of a, sort of a small town newspaper. It was in Boulder, Colorado, uh, which is a college town. And, um, you know, it was fun and I had a great experience there and I really liked my job. But uh, there was one little problem and it was that I couldn't just travel and do whatever I wanted. Uh, I had to actually show up for work. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, that was a bit of a deal breaker. So I saved up and saved and saved and saved and I wrote freelance articles for a bunch of magazines and just saved as hard as I could. And then um, in 2008, I quit my job and just went and traveled for a while. For, and by a while, I mean two, almost two and a half years. Wow. Uh, so I've been, in my life, I've been to 27 countries. Um, 17 of those I visited during that two and a half year time span after I'd quit my job. And it was a fantastic experience, but there was one little problem that was nagging in the back of my mind. And it was that I was, I was blowing through my savings. Mm -hmm. And once my savings were finished, I would have to work again. And so I, I put my mind towards what can I do that would avoid that, <laughs> that would help me avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when I decided that I was going to come back to the U.S. and really focus on creating some passive income. So uh, I moved back to the U.S., I moved to Atlanta, settled in Atlanta, and started buying rental properties. Uh, and now I'm up to five units um, spread across three buildings, all of which are in the Atlanta area, and um, hoping to collect a couple more this year. And then after that, start paying them down. Wow. And that, yeah, that's that's the thing I'm really excited to talk to you about is uh, all those rental properties and how you got into that and 
all your all the challenges you faced along the way and things like that. But um, before we before we do, I definitely want to focus a little bit more on your site and your message and, and that two and a half years of traveling. Um, I, you say on your site uh, you can't afford everything, uh, but you can afford anything, um, and I, I think that's a really really good point and. It's something, you know, that's probably what plagues a lot of people is that they try to afford everything and then they don't have the money to afford what is actually important to them. So you you saved up and probably sacrificed a lot along the way, but then you got to travel for two and a half years and see the world. So um, Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And when I, so here was this, this thing that really bothered me it was when I quit my job and announced to all of my friends that I was going on this big trip, a, a lot of them said, wow, I would love to do something like that, but I can't afford it. That was what almost every single person said. Um, but the thing is, my friends lived in bigger apartments than I did, drove nicer cars than I did. Mm -hmm. They ate out more and drank more alcohol and um, got their hair done and got their nails done and wore nicer clothes and you know, they, they spent a lot more than I did. And uh, so when they told me that they couldn't afford it, I mean, frankly, I don't believe them, mm -hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> um, because I, I think that they can, many of them, they could afford it. They just didn't make it a priority. And sometimes when people say, I can't afford it, um, sometimes they are simply trying to politely say, it's not important to me or it's not a priority. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people genuinely believe that they can't afford it because they're not conscious of the many ways that money is just leaking out of their life. Right. Yeah, no, you, uh, one of your articles that's one of my favorites actually is, that, is, is one that you talk about that where you say, you know, when somebody goes out and buys a, you know, a brand new like a Honda Accord or something, you know, nobody says to them, wow, I wish I could afford that or wow, that's amazing. Or I think you gave another couple of examples and it's, it's definitely true. It's like if I, yeah, if you, if you do something that's out of the ordinary, uh, in that sense and yeah, go travel the world and yeah, people are thinking, wow, how can she afford it? But, but people are doing far more expensive and silly things with their money and just seems to go unnoticed. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah, you go out and you buy a car, and if you pay cash for it, that's fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars. I mean, depending on what car you buy, but uh, but you know, no one will ever say, "Wow, how on earth could you afford a <laughs> a, a Honda Civic?" Right, you must be rich. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, that was I really like that article of yours because that, that's such a good point that you just really don't don't think about um and i think it is in that article where there's a quote that i really like that you had said uh cutting ruthlessly on things that don't matter and then spend money uh lavishly on things that do and i i think that's a great point and for people that are pursuing financial independence then freedom is the thing that they're you know saving their money for um but right. also thing great things like travel and well whatever you want really it's just uh yeah, just as long as it's a conscious thing rather than just doing what everyone else does. You know, everyone buys a car as soon as they get out of college and eventually buys a house on hopefully 20% down, maybe. Um, 
and then it's just this this cycle that everyone's programmed into and then there's a lot of people that aren't happy um uh, you know and and that's the thing like so right now i i own you know a a f a lot of rental you i mean i guess a lot is a relative number i own five rental units mm -hmm. and i'll i'll sometimes have friends that like sort of jibe me they'll say hey you know um wow landlord money bags you own all these houses mm -hmm. why is it that you're too cheap to go get a pedicure you know and that's only like 25 bucks mm -hmm. um and it's it's not a priority that's why you know i would if if i had a spare 25 dollars would I rather put it towards getting financial independence or would I rather like pay somebody to throw some paint on my toes? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, the answer is obvious. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the wrong, the right or wrong choice for everybody. I'm saying you need to think very, very hard about what your priorities are and align your spending with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another, another topic that I really, I think I linked to one of your posts actually on it. Um, it it's thinking like a creator and not like a consumer. Um, there there tends to be uh, a lot of focus on frugality in in the personal finance world, and you know frugality is good. And to me, it comes very naturally. And it you know every every expense is scrutinized just because it's like, whoa, I shouldn't. Be, what am I spending money on? This isn't an investment. So, um, right. but. A lot of the focus is on frugality, and and I really like the idea of that. You know, you when you're always thinking about not spending, you're you're still focusing on the wrong side of the equation. Um, you're focusing on spending, so maybe think like a creator instead and focus on the earning side. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, there's a mindset difference between abundance and scarcity. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly focused on pinching pennies and saving money, uh, I find that you're operating from a scarcity mindset, mm -hmm. uh, you sort of imagine that you have X amount of money and you, and that is your threshold and from that point you try to save as much of it as you can. And I, I kind of like, yeah, it's important not to waste your money, it's important to plug those leaks, absolutely. but. Your mental energy is limited. There's, so, there's only so much that the human brain can focus on. And so while it's important to not waste your money, it's, I think, also very important to focus on the abundance side rather than the scarcity side and to think about how can I increase my income? How can I earn more? How can I um, create something awesome and do something good for the world and get rewarded for it? Because here's the thing, like, like the, the personal finance world is full of people who want to talk about coupons and deals. And, you know, advertisers refer to coupons as ads. They're coupon ads because they're designed to get you to spend and they're designed to get you in the store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're spending less than you normally would. You're paying $1.50 for that thing of yogurt instead of $2 for it. But at the end of the day, you're still buying stuff. Right. And buying stuff is just not the mentality that we should be in. You know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with saving money per se, but I do think that there's something wrong with being in this mindset that is so focused on consumerism and on pinching pennies and saving that you're not thinking about 
how can I create something and do something awesome um, and find a way to, to get rewarded for it yeah, financially? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that was definitely one of my favorite articles that you had written, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, it, it, it totally changed my mindset because, like I said, frugality is something that comes very naturally to me. I've, you know, I've never liked spending money throughout my entire life really. Cause I know what money can do and if you, if you don't spend it. So, um, but yeah, just really thinking on the other side of the equation made a lot of sense and it's something I've tried to do ever since, uh, writing, reading that article of yours. So, um, that's great. Um, speaking of what you can do to create wealth rather than, uh, spend it. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about your, your real estate portfolio and how it's growing and growing it seems because back when I started reading I it was shortly after I think you got your first one so now you're up to five so uh, would you mind just talking a little bit how you got into real estate absolutely well I got in it was sort of almost by accident uh, I was when I moved to Atlanta uh, my boyfriend and I moved here together and didn't really know the city very well and didn't know anybody here and so we um, I contacted the only person that I knew who lived in Atlanta, this girl who had gone to my college, and said, hey, where should I live? And she replied, well, you know, that really, there are lots of different neighborhoods here, and the one that's going to appeal to you depends on your personality and your style and your interests. So she said, uh, there's this one particular neighborhood, it's called Midtown. It's, um, it's fun and it's sort of, you know, universally appealing. She said, go just take a temporary six-month uh, sublet there. And while you're living there, you'll get a feel for Atlanta, and you'll figure out where you want to live. And so we did that, and it just so happened that as we were living there, we noticed a for sale sign in, uh, on, at, in the triplex across the street. So we're in like a very urban environment where land value is at a premium, and so... A lot of the houses here are multi-units. They're mm -hmm. uh, triplexes or fourplexes. And, uh, you know, we had sort of done the math on the place that we were renting and realized that our landlord was not getting a very good deal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so uh, when we saw that the house across the street was for sale, and it was also a, a three-unit house, a triplex, we... Well, just sort of we're curious, and we wanted to do the math on it, and it was selling at a pretty substantial discount because it was a short sale, and the previous owner had paid too much for it, and now he was just trying to unload it. Mm -hmm. So we crunched the numbers and found that we could make this property cash flow very, very well, and uh, and so we just bought it. It was sort of on a whim. Wow. <laughs> sort of an impulse buy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what year was this? Uh, this was 2010. Okay. So uh, so we bought that house, and then I blogged about it, and then one of my readers contacted me and said that she was a foreclosure agent in Atlanta, and uh, she led me to this house that was for sale for $21,000. Oh, wow. And so um, uh, that, was a, that was kind of another impulse buy. We just sort of snapped it up because it was, you know, I mean, I say impulse buy, but I mean, we ran the numbers. Sure. We ran spreadsheets, and we looked at the numbers, and the math the math told us to do it, you know? Right. It made so much sense. Now, now before so, you go on, what kind of neighborhood is a $21,000 house in 2010? Now, are we 
talking somewhere you'd like you'd be willing to live or somewhere you wouldn't be willing to live but at least it's safe to go and paint the walls and <laughs> so um so there's sort of a all right so in terms of neighborhoods there are places that are dangerous like places where i would just be too scared to go particularly at night mm -hmm. and then there are places that are just sort of suburban and boring mm -hmm. um and uh, what I would describe as blue-collar suburban, working-class mm -hmm. suburban, um, they're perfectly safe. I would and have spent a lot of time there, especially at night, especially because when you go down to fix the unit or do repairs, usually you're going after work, that's nighttime. So um, so that's where this house is. It's a blue-collar, working-class suburban neighborhood. Um, it's it's just nondescript cul-de-sac suburbs, so it's kind of quote-unquote boring in that regard. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that I wouldn't live there, but it, not because it's dangerous by any means. It's, it's just not, it's not like walking distance to the local dog park or yoga studio, sure. you know, right. the way the triplex is. Um, and you, those two types of houses appeal to very different clientele. Right. Yeah. No. That's. And I know you guys manage them yourselves. Is that correct? Are you still doing that? Uh, we manage two of them ourselves, and then one of them we've outsourced to a property manager. Is it is it quite a lot of work, or do do either you or your boyfriend have um, management experience, or? or no, no. We've sort of all. Uh, we've we've just sort of learned it learned it as we went along. <laughs> um. Let's see. Is it a lot of work? Well, initially, the biggest component of work is the fact that these are all fixer-uppers. So it's not just, we're not buying turnkey places that you purchase and then you can rent out the next day. You know, we buy places that need um, a lot of work done. And that's really where, where the work comes in. Um, when we first started buying, we were trying to do the work ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, what we discovered was that if you do the work yourself, uh, I mean, maybe you can do one house at a time, but you can't really build a portfolio very fast if you're doing it that way. Um, and so once we started hiring contractors, that's when more of our time was freed up to earn more money doing our jobs and then use that money to buy more houses. And we started building out a lot faster and growing a lot more once we switched from working in our business to working on our business. All right, that's, yeah, that's a great point. Um, and it gives hope to people that maybe do want to start this but feel that you know, they have a full-time job already and may not be possible to you know, go out and constantly fix things in houses or uh, improve them. So that's, yeah, that's really good. And, and when you do do the work, the property management yourself, you still include that in your uh, cash flow statements, is that Correct. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't um if I'm doing the work myself, then I've got to pay myself the exact same amount that I'm going to pay a contractor or a property manager. So, I'm not going to it, it is I feel it's very dishonest to run the numbers and say uh, my profit is this much because I did the work myself and I'm valuing my own time at zero. Mm -hmm. Um that's not profit. That's that's just work that you've done. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you know? So if you want to talk about passive income and you want to talk about financial independence, you've got to compare apples to apples. And the only way to do that is to budget for the amount that you're going to pay a contractor and the amount that you're going to pay a property manager. Absolutely. Yeah. And after that, you know, you budget for that money, you put that money aside, and then you make your hiring decision. And if you choose to hire yourself, then cool, you pay yourself that money. And if you choose to hire somebody else, well, that doesn't change the equation any, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, what about uh, mortgages? Are these finance properties or uh, did you, you know? Uh, the the $21,000 house we paid in cash. Mm -hmm. um, the, the rest we financed. Mortgages are the hardest part. Uh, and what I encourage people to do is to, to get creative because most people are... are sort of stuck in this mentality of, oh, you go to the bank and you get a 30-year owner-occupant mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only one of many, many, many ways to get financing. I mean, you can get, you can get bank financing, you can get private loans, you can get, uh, there's just, there's so many ways to raise money. Um, think of it as building a business mm -hmm. and how would you fundraise for a business that you want to start? You know, there are multiple ways to do it. So, Real estate's no different than any other business in that regard. Does it help uh, if you are working full-time when you start out, do you think, uh, getting that first foot in the door with a bank possibly? or um, For the banks, yes, because they, they, like to see, they like to see that you've got the personal income to back it. Right. Um, for private lenders, no. In fact, for private lenders, it, it sort of makes you look like an amateur, you know? Mm. Right. Uh, that's a good point. Um, how about property size? Uh, how, how's the triplex compared to the single family homes? Um, and, and as you're looking maybe for your next property, uh, do you have any preference? Well, so what I encourage people to do if they want to invest in real estate is to pick one niche and one strategy. And here's what I mean by that. A niche would be uh, single family homes, homes, two to four units, um, large multifamily homes of four to 16 units, uh, commercial properties, office complexes, um, you know, apart apartment buildings that are above 20 units. I mean, there are so many different types of real estate out there, mm -hmm. bare land, mobile home parks. So pick one mm -hmm. and focus on that and really learn everything there is to know about that particular type of property. So that's your one niche. And then pick one strategy, whether that's uh, rent, like rent, buy and hold renting, or flipping, or wholesaling, or uh, lease purchase options, or hard money lending to other investors. Pick one type of monetization strategy. So you, you're starting with one niche and one strategy, and that's what you're focusing on, and that's what you specialize in. Mm -hmm. And you start there, and then once you're very, very comfortable with that, then you can decide if you want to expand from that or not. But I mean, there are, there are so many different ways to make money in real estate that buying a mobile home park and parceling it out and selling it off as lease purchase options is a completely different animal from buying uh, small multifamily units, you know, and sure. and buy and renting them. So uh, you know, you you 
like one of the main things that I talk about on my website again and again is that the human brain is very limited and we can't do it all and we tend to be successful if we really narrow our focus and pick one thing and just become the best at that. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And did you make any mistakes along the way? Uh, you've only been going for three years, but it sounds like you're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'd say the biggest mistake in the beginning was trying to do the work myself. Right. Uh, my, my boyfriend and I were trying to do the work ourselves. And, um, you know, we, we were very much coming from this mentality. So remember, we had just been traveling for two years. So we hadn't really been making any money during that time. And so we were coming very much from a mentality of we don't make that much and our time is not worth that much. Mm -hmm. And so we were very much willing to, um, yeah, to, to devalue our own time and uh, take, you know, put ourselves through a lot of, of distraction and heartache and effort for the sake of performing a task that could be done by, for somebody else by, for like $11 an hour. Right. You know? Um, so that was probably one of, one of my biggest mistakes in the beginning was, um, being a little bit, and, and this comes from, I tend to be naturally frugal. So, um, you know, being a little bit too much of a DIYer, I think mm -hmm. was a, it was a big mistake and it slowed me down quite a bit. If I, if I could have bought more houses in 2010 rather than, you know, waiting until 2012, uh, I'd be doing a lot better because the market was a lot better back in 2010. A lot, lot better. Uh, that, was, that was the time that, man, the deals then were good. <laughs> uh, are you still finding anything that's, uh, that's worth purchasing? Uh, are, you at, are you actively looking now for your next property? I am, yeah. I want to I buy a few more. Um, but uh, it's a lot harder now than it was back then. The, uh, back in 2010... A lot of investors were scared, and so, you know, there were a lot of houses on the market and not a lot of buyers, mm -hmm. so it was a great time to be, to be shopping around. Now, we're, you know, the recession happened so long ago, the housing bubble burst so long ago, that everybody's flooding back into the market. You know, we're reaching this point now where your grandma is talking about buying a rental property, and, you know, when that happens, the... the the good days are over. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I should say, I know that's true in Atlanta. Every real estate market is local. So I can't comment on what things are like in Vermont or in Philadelphia or in Detroit, you know, but um, certainly for Atlanta, that's true. So it just makes your job a bit harder, but you know, I'm sure you'll find something. There's always opportunity in any kind of market, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Just a little bit harder work. Um, so, so what, piece of advice would you give to someone who's thinking of starting out? You, you sound like you just dove right in. Um, would you maybe do a little bit more, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say more preparation because people, me included, you know, just get hung up on preparation and you, you just read and read and read, but then take no action. So would, would diving right in, do you, would you recommend that, do you think? Uh, obviously, you did. You ran all the numbers and everything, but... Mm -hmm. um, you didn't spend three years reading every book you could get your hands on about real estate investment, I assume. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I would say do both. Dive right in and read the books and read the blogs, you know? Mm, that's um, I mean, you know, there's, there's no reason that you can't do both simultaneously. 
limit yourself. I mean, limit yourself, you know, say that you'll spend half an hour a day or 40 minutes a day um, reading books about real estate or reading blogs about real estate and then another 30 or 40 minutes a day actually doing something active to, to pursue that goal. Um, last year, I went and got, I went ahead and got my real estate agent license. Uh, and I, I don't run around telling people that I'm a real estate agent because I don't want to give people the idea that that's my full-time job or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But that was very helpful for giving me direct access to the FMLS. Oh, so yeah. now I can just... I don't have to rely on a third party to go look around and try and find something for me. I can just sit on the MLS and, you know, set my search criteria and look for houses. And when something pops up, I can jump on it right away. I can pick up the phone and call the listing agent uh, right right away. That's really so. cool. Yeah, that that's something I've thought about. Um, I know I'm going to be – my wife may want to settle down eventually after our – next planned maybe decade of you know uh geographic arbitrage and traveling and living at long periods of time at different countries and things like that so i'm trying to think of something that would really interest me in one place and i could see myself yeah maybe 10 years down the road um living in somewhere that i enjoy and you know really just exploring all the different neighborhoods and taking the time to do that and then yeah getting my real estate license and diving into real estate investment. Um, so yeah, that's good to, good to hear that you, you think it's worthwhile to, to go ahead and get that, uh, as okay. an investor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's honestly, it's not that hard. It's uh, it's about a hundred hours of work. Um, including I, I just took an online class, uh, studied on my own time at home mm-hmm. and then went in and took the test. So yeah, the whole thing only, it took about a hundred hours spaced out over the span of about three or four months. So it really wasn't that bad. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Huh? That's cool. Um, so yeah, so now, uh, so once you buy a couple more properties and you have your, you know, your real estate empire that you're happy with, um, what, <laughs> what, what's your plans for after that? Well, you know, that's a good question because um, my boyfriend and I, Will, his name's Will, we've been talking about it a lot because we're we're at that point now where we're trying to figure out whether we are in the acquisition stage or in the paydown stage. And uh, I mean, we can both see that, at least in the Atlanta area, it's the, the good days, the good deals are, are, you know, behind us. We like the, for example, the area where we bought that $21,000 house, mm-hmm. houses there are selling for like $50,000 now, right. you know? Um, and that's in two years. Those home prices have doubled. So, um, Have yes. rents increased a lot or no, not anywhere near doubling? Uh, no, they, they pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, typically what happens is that when, when there are more buyers in the market, rents actually decrease because more people are able to buy houses, so there's less rental demand. Right, yeah. So, uh, so we've been actually what happened with the recession was a lot of people lost their homes. So there were more renters on the market. So rent prices went up as home, as home values went down, rental prices went up. Um, and so one thing that we've been a little bit afraid of is, is seeing if the reverse would happen. If, uh, if rental prices would go down now that 
now that there are more buyers in the market. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Rent prices seem to be holding steady. That's good. Um, so, and, and regardless, I mean, we buy, we're very strict about what houses we buy, and we'll only buy houses with big, big margins, mm-hmm. of, you know, so that rents could drop by 100 a month, and we still would be all right, you know? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, having, having big, big, fat margins of error is very nice for your peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so have you decided, are you in the pay-down phase then? Um, right, so I, we want to buy like three to four more units. Okay. Um, whether that's in the form of a, one multi-unit property that has four units in it, mm-hmm. or whether that's in the form of you know, three or four single-family houses, that I don't know. But we want to buy three or four more units, and then after that, we're gonna we're gonna flip strategies and go into pay down. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much the plan. Are you? Uh, I know you're interested also in geographic arbitrage. Are you heading abroad uh, at any point in the next you know decade or so to maybe live and enjoy the the rents coming in and expend it somewhere where it's a lot cheaper? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, so I'm turning 30 this year, and I mentioned I've been to 27 countries, so I want to hit 30 by 30. Nice. Um, so I'm going to Jamaica in May for a week um, for a friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. So that'll be country number 28. So I need to go to two more places before the fall. <laughs> um, so and that's... that's you have been- any in mind? I have no idea, honestly. We'll see what happens. I this is going to sound ridiculous, but I need to get my wisdom teeth pulled. And um, being self-employed, I don't have dental insurance. Mm. And I've actually figured out. I got a couple of quotes, and I figured out that it's cheaper for me to go to Bangkok <laughs> and um, get my wisdom teeth pulled there <laughs> than it would be for me to do it here in Atlanta. That is crazy. Yeah, I had a buddy that uh, hurt his shoulder when he was studying abroad in Germany and he had to go, I think he came back to the States after he was done studying and he, uh, I guess, got some sort of maybe an infection or something he was worried about and it was, yeah, it was cheaper to buy a plane ticket to Germany to get it uh, looked at than it would be to get it checked out uh, since he didn't have insurance when he came back. Uh, So he flew to Germany and that's that's what he did and luckily he wasn't (laughs) infected, so... He just flew back, which is absolutely crazy. But so yeah, well, uh, we're uh, getting to near the end of the interview, so I I usually ask all my guests uh, if if there was one piece of advice you'd have for anyone that's pursuing financial independence. uh, What do you think it would be? Hmm. (laughs) Good question. Um, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but just focus on. Focus on ways to, you can create passive income. I know that's uh, that's a little bit of a duh statement if you're trying to reach financial independence, <laughs> but uh, focus focus on ways to create passive income. And you know what I said earlier about picking one niche and one strategy and really zeroing in on that. Mm-hmm. I would actually advocate something like that if you're trying to reach financial independence because there are many ways to do it. You could you could buy rental properties. You could become a dividend investor. Uh, you could. I don't know, write a song that gives you enough royalties that you're completely financially independent. Like there, there are lots of ways to do it, but pick one strategy 
and learn everything you can about that and just really focus on that one strategy. That's great advice. Yeah. Focus on it and just kill it like you guys are doing with real estate. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I, yeah, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. I've, I've been wanting to speak to you ever since I've started reading your blog. So, uh, I'm glad I could pick your brains for a little bit and I'm sure the listeners are thankful as well. So, um, is it, is there any way people can get in touch with you? Uh, just go to the blog, or yeah, yeah. If you go to the blog, there's a, a contact button at mm-hmm. the top. So just uh, just click that, and then my my email address is there, and then there's a contact form. So Perfect. yeah, excellent. Well, thanks, Paula, and um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Great, thank you. Take care. Goodbye. Right, bye. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Paula as much as I did. Um, I often record these outros a few days after the interviews themselves, and um, so it's been about two days since I spoke with Paula, um, but I've actually been thinking about our conversation quite a bit since. Um, It's really inspiring to hear that her and her boyfriend just dove into real estate investing. Um, I know personally I tend to spend a lot of time reading and planning and researching, and, and real estate investments especially seem like they require you know, lots of knowledge and lots of investigation. But uh, to hear Paula's story, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, they they knew what the important numbers were. They, they were able to reasonably predict the values that they didn't know. And then they just did the math and realized that, hey, this is a great investment. So why not just jump in? Um, and, and there's no better way to learn than to just do something. So, you know, I'm sure they've learned more after purchasing that first property than I would if I, you know, spent two or three years reading everything I could on real estate investing. So it, it, it was a great story and it's definitely made me think about, you know, how I tackle future opportunities and investments. So um, if you haven't already checked out her site yet, I would highly recommend you go to affordanything.com. Um, I'm going to link to some of the articles that we discussed uh, in the show notes, um, but all of our posts over there are excellent. They're definitely worth reading, so go over there and check them out. Um, anyway, that's it from me, so thanks again to Paula, and thank you for listening. The integral of e to the x dx equals e to the x plus. Finance.